Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. But we are in Luke chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, you could turn there. If you didn't, that's all right. We'll have the verses up on the screen as well. But um, uh, tonight, uh, the message is called Keeping Our Wonder at the Center. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about how Christmas can be one of the best times of the year, or it could be one of the worst times of the year. And I was thinking about it this week, and I thought Christmas time kind of can feel like a a magnifier, right? Like if things are good in your life, Christmas tends to magnify everything that's good. A good family seems to be the best family. A good memory becomes a better memory. The Christmas trees smell better. The food tastes better. You know, like the Christmas moviers are funnier. Uh, The songs seem more holy. Christmas, if life is good, seems to magnify the goodness of life. But if we're being honest, Christmas can also, if we're having a struggle, if, things are, if we're in a tough season right now, it can magnify uh, things even more. It can make it seem even more difficult, make the struggle feel even more real. You know, like if, if, Christmas, uh, if financial stress is tough any time of the year, but during Christmas time, it seems to be magnified. Relationships are tough. Family can be difficult, right? But Christmas sometimes magnifies that even more. Loneliness is hard. But, magnify, uh, but Christmas time can magnify the loneliness all the more. But, but my challenge for you tonight is rather than focusing on yourself and, and what you got or what you have or how much you got or who you saw or how the kids look this Christmas Eve or how many presents are under the tree, I would encourage you to magnify, to make bigger Jesus and to make him the center of your life. And tonight we're going to look at a very familiar scene. It's the nativity scene. It's what we have right up here on the stage. And there are things that we can learn from this scene. And I believe that there are even things that we can learn from the characters in this scene. So we're going to read this scene starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage, the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at, the, at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. See, we're all familiar with this Christmas story. We've heard this Christmas story many times before. You might even read some of this story before opening up all of your presents. We're so familiar with this story uh, because we, we have even little replicas in our house of this story as well. Now, I just, out of curiosity, by a show of hands, how many of you have a nativity scene in your house right now? A few of you, a lot of you. How many of you have two nativity scenes in your house right now? A few of you. I bet you there's some of you that have more nativity scenes in your house than people right now, all right? Because we love this scene. We love it. It's because this is when hope enters the world. And what I love about this nativity scene is that they're all different, You've got some that light up in the front yard. You have others that are inflatable. You have some that are made out of wood. Ours is made out of wood. You have others that are uh, made out of porcelain like the one that we have here. And there's different things going on in the nativity scene. And there's different people. And I think that's symbolic because it can represent us. For so many of us, we're coming from many different walks of life. We have different stories, different paths, different backgrounds. There are different things that make up our story. But just like the nativity scene that we have, that have different pieces, different materials, what's the central theme? What's the one thing they all have in common? It's that Jesus is in the center. And tonight, my hope and my prayer is that Jesus isn't just the center of the nativity scene that sits on your table. He's not the center of your nativity scene that sits on your mantle or uh, the, the center of your nativity scene that's in the front of your yard. My prayer and my hope is that Jesus is not just the center of our 5 p.m. Christmas Eve service where we've kind of just checked off the list and we said, yep, did my religious obligation, showed up to church, made Jesus the center, made Jesus the focus tonight. My hope and my prayer is that Jesus is the center of your life every single day. There is nothing else that you can build your life around other than a relationship with Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him holds all things together. You need to hear this tonight. Without Jesus, there is no meaning and there is no purpose in your life. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He was here before anything ever came into existence and he holds it all together. And maybe right now your life, your story, your world feels like it's all falling apart. Maybe tonight Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year for you. It's the most difficult time. The struggle is real for you right now. Listen, you need to make Jesus the center of your life and he will hold it all together. That's what Colossians just told us. And that's what Christmas is all about. But sometimes we hear this and we go, well, that sounds very simplistic. Like, isn't it a little bit more complicated than that? It's not. It's very simple. Jesus should be the center of your life. He's before you, he's after you, and he's holding everything together. 
But what I think, as we, look at this, as we look at this scene, I want us to think about what is keeping us from making Jesus the center of our lives. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the characters that we've read about, that we know about, and we're going to see that oftentimes I think that we take Jesus from being the center of our life and we replace him with other things. And so I think we take Jesus out and we replace him with the animals. Now, different nativities have different animals. Here we have the cow and the camel. Uh, Some of you might have sheep or uh, donkeys. But uh, I think often these, these animals represent our priorities. Now, I don't want you to think about your animals at home. Like your pets and, oh, that's cute. I love my dog. I love my cat. Which, if you love your cat, I'm praying for you because cats... And me, we don't like each other, just in case you're new here. I don't like cats, all right? So, but if you're anti-pet, you know, don't think of your friends' pets as well. Don't think of their cats or their dogs. These animals that we are reading about, that we see in these, represent their livelihood. These people at this time had to prioritize their animals. They needed these animals for food and clothing and other things. And just like we talked about a few days ago, this last Sunday, these animals were living in their house. And so you know things were a little smelly. You know things were a little chaotic. You know things were a little crazy in that house. And so things were uh, insane, I'm sure, but they had to prioritize these animals. Here's what we need to know. If we're being honest, I think sometimes our lives can feel very chaotic, very messy, all over the place. And it's not just at Christmas, it's all the time. Because I believe that we have the tendency to prioritize too many things. We can have too many animals in our own houses. Because if you're like me, what have you been trained to think? More is better. If I have one, more is better. For my whole life, if I thought, if I have $1, $2 must be better. If I have one car, two cars must be better. If I have one Oreo, a whole sleeve of Oreos must be better, right? (laughs) In my case, if I have one child, three must be better. On most days, that is the case. Some of you parents are questioning if more is better right now, like, right? But we've been, tre- we've, been, we've been thinking, like, if I have one, more must always be better. And we can easily fall into the trap of prioritizing other things or doing more things. And that's when our life seems to get chaotic. That's when things seem to get all out of whack. Our priorities then are all over the place. Here's what I think we need to do from time to time, though is we need to step back, we need to examine our lives, look at our lives, and we need to ask ourselves what really matters in our life. Because I think oftentimes we're prioritizing too many things and not the most important thing. I read something this week that said that if you had only three months to live, what would you prioritize? People said, my relationship with the Lord, reading the Bible, praying, you know, spending time with my family. They prioritize those things. You know what no one ever said? Oh, I've got to prioritize my job because I've got to get more money to get more in the bank account. I've got to prioritize that vacation. I've got to go prioritize this or that. They never said any of the things that are going to just fall away that don't last forever. They wanted to prioritize the things that really mattered. When you define what's most important in your life, what you're going to often find out is that most of your life is spent pursuing things that don't even really matter the most to us. Because I think we tend to believe whatever I don't have is what I need because more is better. I'm not saying 
that we shouldn't prioritize our jobs or our family or our kids, our spouse, our vacation, our hobbies. I'm not saying that at all. Those are good things. We should prioritize those things. They are a gift from God. So we should prioritize those things. But what I am saying is that if you build your life around everything but Jesus, you will always be unfulfilled. See, I'm glad that the animals are in the story. It would be weird, though, if the whole nativity scene were all about the animals. They should be in the nativity. They should be in our story. But they should not be our focus. If we prioritize the wrong things or too many things, we take Jesus out of the center of our lives and we'll feel unfulfilled and miss the most important thing, and that is Jesus. And so often I think that we remove Jesus and we replace him with our priorities. But maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, though, you've removed Jesus and you've replaced him with your resources. This is where the wise men come in. We put our resources above our relationship with God. This is where we focus on what we have or what we don't have. And either way, it becomes our focus. I think if the last two years taught us anything, it's that whatever we trusted in the most, our bank account, the stock market, our 401k, that all got shattered in the last couple of years. And I think if anything, the last couple of years taught us that we thought we were all in control, but we're not as much control as we thought that we were. And maybe for you, this is a hard season because you've removed Jesus from the center of your life and you've put your resources at the center. See, the wise men, they came to give gifts. And let's just be honest, those are weird gifts to give a child, a baby, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Give the kid a blanket. Like, it's cold. You know, it's a weird gift. But they came to give gifts. They gave resources because they wanted to honor Jesus. We are giving gifts too. Our resources are not a reward for us to hoard and to hold on to, but they are given as a gift to continue the mission of Jesus. I was thinking about the wise men this week, and I was reminded of the resources, the things that I've received. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I don't have one story in my life where I consumed something or got something for Christmas or on my birthday or whatever, where I just became so overjoyed with emotion because I knew it was going to bring me closer to Jesus. Not one story. I don't remember ever driving home, getting my very first flat screen TV and going, oh man, this is going to bring me so much closer to the Lord. You know, that never happened. When I was 15 and I got my, my uh, first pair of Air Jordans, I didn't slip my feet into those shoes and go, the angels of the Lord are singing hallelujah because I'm going to tread all over some heathens. Like that wasn't what happened in my life. I don't have one single emotional story where something I consumed, something I got brought me closer to Jesus. But I do have plenty of emotional stories of being able to give something to be a blessing to someone. You know, Christmas time is called, it's better to give than to receive, right? Right. I have plenty of stories. If you're like me, maybe the Lord has put something on your heart. You've been praying about how can I bless this family or bless this person. I know they're going through a hard time, so how can I help them out? And the Lord is asking you to do something, and you know that it's going to be tough. You know you're going to have to take a step of faith. You're like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. But then when you take that step of faith, you see how the Lord shows up, and you can see how he used you. Maybe for you, it's the first time you gave to the church. And out of, uh, you, you were able to see how the Lord provided for you when you took a step of faith and you trusted him with your finances. 
or when you gave and you saw what it was like to be obedient to the Lord. Listen, God wants you to have resources. He wants you to have resources so that you can use them, not worship them. And so often I think we replace Jesus with our resources. But here's the third character we're going to look at. And that's the shepherd. We make it about our identity. I think the shepherds represent identity problems. Because you were a shepherd with a label. Shepherds were considered to be the outcasts of society. They were considered to have little or no value. They were poor, smelly. uh, They were dirty. They had no education. They were seen as having no value to society. And the only thing, if you were a shepherd, the only thing that you were good at doing is washing sheep. Nothing else. You were a shepherd with a label. You had to fight for approval, fight for affirmation, fight for respect. See, for too many of us, we've removed Jesus from the center of our lives and trying to find our identity in other things. We think if I could get this job or if I could get this money or if I could have that kind of money in my bank account or if I could have this car or live in this place or if I could be in that relationship, then I will finally know who I am. That's my identity. We're fighting for our identity and we're trying to find it in things. 18 times Jesus said, I am. And then he gave a description of himself. He said, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. Over and over again, Jesus defined himself. Jesus knew who he was and who he still is. Jesus understood his identity, and it's important that you understand yours too. When you're unsure about your identity, you're going to feel pressured to fit into other people's molds of what they think you should be or how you should act. And the way you get past this, though, is to understand that you were created by God, that you are loved by him, that he molded you, he shaped you, he knows exactly who you are, he knows your personality, and he wants to have a relationship with you. But we all have this one problem, and it is a sin issue. And this sin has separated us from God, but God had a plan because he wants to have a relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus in a manger, not to just live as a baby and live a good life, teach us some moral things so we could be good and all of that. He came so that he could live and die and rise again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave so that we could be reconciled back to the Father again. That's why Jesus came. And so when you know that you are created by him, you are loved by him, and he wants a relationship with you, you will drop the facade and you will discover who you are by knowing whose you are. But so often we try to replace Jesus with our identity. But the last characters we're going to look at is Mary and Joseph, and they represent our feelings. See, it's easy for us to look at this story and go, Look how cute this couple is right here. Oh, isn't so nice. I mean, they're going to do a home birth. Very natural. Like, they're ahead of their time right now. No medication. And it's so cute. They're going to have a baby named Jesus. This is so awesome. And we can forget that these are real people living at a real time, living a real nightmare. We make this nativity scene or this story here in Luke chapter 2 feel more like religion or tradition. And we forget that this was the worst time of the year for these people. Imagine Mary. Here she is, a teenager, being visited by an angel saying, hey, don't worry. You're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the Savior of the world, and you're going to name him Jesus. It's a lot of pressure. That's a little scary. 
You could imagine the heaviness of the responsibility when the angel said that. But once she got over the weight of her responsibility, you can imagine the fear that just came over here. What is her family going to do? What's Joseph going to do? She's going to say, hey, uh, Joe, I'm going to have a baby and it's not your baby. Like, that's not a good thing. And at that time, Joseph, he could have uh, exposed her for that and she could have been stoned to death, meaning that she could have died and so she had a lot of fears, but it was terrible for Joseph too. He had feelings of, man, Mary isn't who I thought that she was. I thought my life was going to go a certain direction. It's not going that way at all. What am I going to do? And so for him, it's the worst time of the year. If he decided to even stay with her, he's going to be a guy who has labels and things and people are going to look at him and say things to him as well. But even for him at this time, it was very important for the father to be able to name his sons. And that was taken away from him as well. This was the worst time of the year for these people. These are real people with real feelings, but they had to push past their feelings and push into the purpose of God. And what Mary and Joseph show us is how to live through a tough season. They show us that we can't make it about our feelings. See, just like Mary and Joseph, they didn't know everything. We don't know everything. Feelings are great indicators in our life, but they're terrible decision makers. We cannot put the feelings and emotions at the center of our life because they will lie to us. There are so many things that God is calling you and me to do that we're never going to feel like doing. But if God is calling us to do it, you better do it. You better obey. In fact, um, next year, when we uh, get into our new series, we're going to call Go. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And we're going to be looking at how Moses, God's calling Moses to do some things. And Moses is like, I don't know if I can do this. And God has some reasons why he can. But that's not the only story. There's countless stories of people where God is calling them to do this, do something, and they're like, I don't know. And they argue with God. Listen, God always wins. And if God is calling you to do something, you better step up and do that thing that God is calling you to do it. Listen, God is not a God who isn't familiar with our sufferings. He felt every human emotion that we feel. Jesus didn't feel like dying on the cross for the sins of the world. How do I know this? Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends, his followers. He felt loneliness and he stood there crying out before God. He was like, Father, let this death, let this suffering, let all of this pass over me. I don't want to go through it. Jesus was sweating drops of blood, agonizing over his feelings. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. But listen, I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't listen to his feelings, that he didn't choose his feelings, but that he chose you and that he chose me. And tonight, you have a choice to continue to put other things at the center of your life, or you can put Jesus back at the center of your life. See, none of these things are bad things. Our priorities, our resources, our identity, our feelings, none of those are bad things. They can become a bad thing when Jesus isn't at the center of our life. If Jesus isn't at the center of this nativity scene, then what do we have? We have a weird group of people, right? We have a bunch of randos just hanging out. You have a young couple who feels shame. They have trust issues, feelings of guilt and unforgiveness. And then they're being followed by some creeps who just want to give them some gifts. And they're surrounded by a bunch of smelly animals and smelly people. But the story makes more sense when Jesus is at the center. 
And listen, your life will make more sense when Jesus is at the center as well. See, tonight and tomorrow, we celebrate the greatest gift in all of human history. And that is when Jesus came to this earth to live, but not only just to live and again, teach us some good things, but to live and die and rise again so that we could have a relationship with the Father. See, this may be the best time of the season for you, or this might be the worst time of the year for you. But no matter how you feel right now, focus on Jesus. Worship God for his goodness, his love, his sacrifice. See, we're told in the Bible to magnify God. But what does that mean? It means to make bigger. What if you made God a bigger part of your life? Not just on Christmas Eve, not just on Christmas Day, but every day. What if you allowed his goodness, his wills, his plans to consume your thinking? What if you made his presence the biggest priority of all? See, if you're going to magnify anything this Christmas, magnify Jesus. Put Jesus at the center of your life, your story, and your eternity. And listen, when you do that, your life will never be the same. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.